friends, welcome back to our latest Fraser Valander podcast. I am Kate Milne, an assistant economist here at the Institute and today I am joined by Professor Mary Spowage, our director. So in our weekly update today, we'll be discussing what's been going on across the Scottish economy over the past few days and weeks. To start off, just a few days ago on the 1st of March, the latest GDP figures for Scotland were released and we saw that Scotland's economy had grown by 0.1%, much in line with the most recent figures for the UK. So just over to you on that, Maddie. Yeah, so what we saw in the data is that there was very slight growth, 0.1% over the the quarter. Um, So this is quarter four. uh, This is the October to December quarter. Um, And now at the UK level, there was zero growth. um, And in Scotland, there was 0.1% growth. um, But essentially, it's roughly the same. And, And what it means is just like at the UK level, Scotland is not technically in a recession as of quarter four, because despite a contraction in the economy in quarter three, there has been slight growth in quarter four. And a recession is defined as two consecutive quarters of contraction in the economy. But, you know, although that's narrowly been avoided, it doesn't change the fact that we are in, you know, a very difficult economic situation. And whether it's zero or whether it's just below zero, it doesn't really change that that very kind of weak picture over the second half of of 2022. The overall different sectoral composition of of growth is interesting. Um, We can see that there has been significant falls in in certain parts of public sector output, including health and education, which does fall to some extent the pattern at the UK level. Um, And that's a bit about um, the numbers of of procedures and and things that are taking place. which obviously um, in the rest of the UK maybe has been impacted um, by um, industrial action on health and and has been impacted by industrial action in Scotland. So that's quite interesting how much is driven by the public sector. Uh, But we can also see that, you know, um, the areas of production, um, manufacturing, construction in Scotland have, have also had a difficult last quarter. But generally, overall, around about the same um, pattern as we've seen it at the UK level. Um, and so perhaps, you know, officially the recession won't start until quarter one of 2023, which we are still expecting there to be a contraction in growth. But always remember these statistics, they may well be revised. So it might be that, you know, the truth in a few months time is that we were starting a recession in the middle of 2022, but we'll wait and see. So the picture remains quite bleak, um, especially for businesses and households. Um, And on that note, in terms of energy prices, which have been a hot topic over the last year or so, um, with wholesale gas prices generally falling, are households and businesses likely to see a reflection um, in their bills that they're paying after prices shot up last year? Will we see any sort of reflection in that? Should we see some confidence returning or will prices remain largely the same? So from a household perspective, also, obviously, although um, the, um, the the off-gem energy price cap is based on, um, you know, wholesale energy prices for the previous period, and that's at the level at, the cap, at which the cap is set, that has been overridden by the government's intervention with the energy price guarantee. And what that's done is since October has has sort of flattened the peak for households. So, they, you know, their bills have gone up, but they've not gone up as much as they would have done if, if we had just based it on the, the wholesale price. Um, and I suppose I mean, we can chat about what the government might do in the, the UK 
budget in a second. Um, but if it stays as it currently is, the plan is for that that energy price guarantee to go up to um, to what would be the equivalent of £3,000 for a typical household in terms of typical use. Um, and that's despite the wholesale price falling from the peak. But the government's sort of squashed that peak for everyone. So although um, prices are coming down, they're still higher than the level that we're currently paying. So, um, you know, it, it, we are in a sort of paradoxical situation where households um, may be paying more come April, even though the price has come down. But that's because of the significant government support that's been put in place between April and March. For businesses, it's a little different because sort of support that was provided by government was um was different from that that was provided for households um and that also was due to change in april again we will see what happens at, at the budget um so you know i, th I think they're more likely to to um, be able to see the impacts potentially on their renegotiations of contracts if the long-term view of of wholesale energy prices is that they're lower than they were a few months ago um but, you know, prices are still very high, even though they're coming down. So um, we do have to remember that we're still, we will, even, even on the most optimistic forecast about what's going to happen over the next six months, we're still going to be paying significantly more for energy, both as households and as businesses, um, than we were a, a few years ago. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and so just onto that note on the UK budget. So obviously in March is the last month for the energy support scheme for households. So many will have received their last payment of £67. Do you think since prices have been slightly lower than expected, is there any sort of fiscal room? Um, do we expect the UK to extend um, support for this in the next budget? It's a really interesting one because um, the argument for doing that is that, you know, what the government were expecting to spend on this, you know, and what they've actually spent, they've spent much less than they were expecting because the wholesale price has come down and essentially they were paying the difference between where the energy price guarantee was and, and where the, the off-gem price cap should be. And that gap has been smaller than was expected. The UK government may say, well, yes, that's true, but other things have also happened. For example, um, the energy profits levy that they put in place, also sort of called the windfall tax um, by people, uh, raised less money than was expected. So, you know, um, there's there's things on both sides of the equation that were different than what was expected uh, at November when, um, you know, the last set of forecasts were produced. Um, however, you know, um, it's looking likely that maybe the government will do something on this in the budget. It might be the sort of thing they want to announce. Um, and, you know, we're hearing in the news uh, today, in fact, that, you know, some energy companies are just sort of assuming the government will extend the help. And that's the basis on which they're preparing their April bills. Because one of the difficulties about leaving it till the middle of March is it, it doesn't leave companies very much time to implement that. Um, so, you know, it'll be really interesting to see. Um, and we might well get some sort of, um, kite flying by the Treasury in advance of the budget to see how acceptable this might be. Um, although no doubt some in the Chancellor's own party would like him to, to use any fiscal headroom for tax cutting rather than for spending more on the energy price guarantee. So uh, looking ahead now, today at the Fraser we published our latest report which marks the 25th anniversary of the Scottish Business Monitor, our quarterly publication that takes the temperature of the economy in real time. The main points to take away from that surrounded investment and exportivity which you know are two key drivers of productivity. So just handing over to you on that Mary, obviously this week we have also 
uh, had a lot of news surrounding the new Northern Ireland protocol. So just wondering what, if any, implications there will be from that on Scotland's economy um, and in particular on exports. Yes, I mean, that's a really interesting one. And, and you know, the the um, what I think is a really great report we released today on in 100 editions of the Scottish Business Monitor, which um, has been supported by Scottish businesses over all that time. And, and just to say that we're, we're so grateful at the Institute for the businesses who take the time to fill in our survey. It really is it's such an insightful way of us understanding what's going on in the economy. So thank you to everybody who does that. Um, emphasises some of the challenges that we have in the Scottish economy, which will impact our medium to long term uh, kind of prospects for growth. Um, and that's why we see, and particularly over the last few years, we see uh, the last 10 years, really, we see businesses kind of muddling through and doing all right and being quite resilient to economic shocks. What we don't see um, is a huge uh, confidence for investment. Uh, and that's what really, in the end, will will drive the you know increase increase the product uh, productive capacity of your economy. So that's that's quite worrying, and and that's continuing into our most current edition. Um, you know, it's that story of resilience, but not much confidence to invest. So so that is a bit of a concerning trend, and our business investment level. Anyway, um, you know, internationally is is quite poor. Um, in the UK as a whole. Um, but 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 particularly in Scotland, so that is a bit of a concern in terms of the what the impact of the the, the new Windsor framework might be and the sort of resolution of the issues around the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, it's quite difficult to know. Uh, I mean, it's quite ironic um, seeing the Prime Minister obviously extolling the special place that Northern Ireland now holds and and being in the single market and in the um, the EU single market and the the UK single market obviously before Brexit that was the case for the whole of the UK um but um you know what sort of comparative advantage that might give Northern Ireland whether you know that might um, increase investment in Northern Ireland as opposed to Scotland um you know and and what that might mean is it difficult to know and um, there is quite a lot of trade and movement of goods um, between northern ireland and scotland so i'm sure scottish businesses who, who use that route will be pleased if um you know their paperwork burden is reduced or it gets a bit easier to do that um but i think we're quite we're quite early days for understanding exactly what the impact will be and obviously we still have to wait and see um whether the the new agreement is acceptable to all parts of um, the Northern Ireland political spectrum. Great, thanks Mary. Um, definitely early days for that. Um, and just back to your point then on the productive capacity of Scotland's economy there. So productivity levels, as um, we know for both Scotland and the UK, have largely lagged that of many of their international competitors over the sort of last um, 10 to 15 years. And in the news over the last few days, We've seen talks about the four-day working week, so I just wondered if um, you think that Scottish businesses and their workforce could benefit from such a proposal in terms of boosting um, the overall productivity in the economy. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting proposal and, um, you know, it's good to see more evidence being brought to um, uh, our understanding of what the potential impacts of, of moving to a different model of working um, might be and we've written in the past about um, its feasibility for certain sectors and, and wh whether it's more feasible for for certain sectors 
um, than others. Um, you know, there's certain areas where you can see it might work in the economy and certain areas where it might be more difficult, particularly given the um, constraints we have in labour supply at the moment. Um, you know, cutting somebody's hours and having to find other people to to make up those hours and services that have to be provided, you know, seven days a week, like health or policing or or whatever it is, you know, um, does does seem a little bit more difficult. Um, the the sort of research that's been released in the last week or so has has shown that those companies who sort of signed up to the pilot, you know, generally are positive about it. Um, but obviously that's because it works for um, those particular sectors and those companies. So um, yeah, I think more more will probably, more work will probably need to be done before it could be be adopted more widely. Um, because there are are certain sectors for which it may not work. Great. Um, maybe something we'll see becoming more common uh, among some sectors in the future. Then. Uh, so just to finish off then, uh, last but certainly not least, um, the Scottish Leadership Contest has been dominating our screens for the past couple of weeks and I just wondered what the impact of the contest in terms of uh, potential candidates could be on policy both now and in the future. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting because um, obviously we're in this um, quite strange position at the moment where um, there are three candidates um, who are um, debating each other to be leader of the Scottish National Party and therefore First Minister. Um, whilst obviously the, the Scottish government, as is, sort of carries on with delivery of, of current policy um, priorities. Um, and to, this week we've seen um, two areas where um, in particular, which are quite flagship policies of the current Scottish government, which are, are likely to change whoever becomes leader. Um, you know, so the National Care Service, for example, um, you know, there, there's been an announcement this week that that will sort of pause um, at the moment, given the uncertainties over um, the views of the new leader on, on that. Um, and also the, you know, hugely controversial um, deposit return scheme, um, not in terms, it's not controversial in terms of the aims of the scheme, um, it's, it's more on, on the way and, and nature of its implementation. Um, you know, that as well, um, from all candidates saying that they would do it a bit differently from what's being proposed at the moment. Um, so uh, it's just an interesting time and it'll be interesting to see, given that we've still got a few weeks left to go, whether there are other areas of policy which may need to be kind of paused um, until we, we know the views of the, the new leader of the, the SNP and therefore the new First Minister. And of course, what Im impact that may have on um, the coalition agreement with the Greens. Um, you know, because if, if certainly if two of the candidates um, that are currently in the running win, it's, it's likely that that may well break down and, and have an impact. So, so, yeah, interesting. And, you know, we'll be keeping an eye on which other policies may be paused or rethought um, as a result of, of who wins the, the leadership contest. Uh, yes, it will um, definitely be interesting to follow the contest and its candidates over the next few weeks um, before Scotland's next First Minister is announced at the end of the month. So thank you, Maddie, um, and thank you to all of our listeners for joining us again here today. You can find our latest Scottish Business Monitor on our website at fraservander.org um, alongside many of our other recent publications and podcasts. You can also keep up to date with us on our social media channels and by subscribing to this podcast.